Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Our scripture reading today is Matthew 5, verse 1 through 3a. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are. Mysterious. Yeah, this is, she read the right passage. That's what, that's what I told her to read, so thank you. And your uh, worship guides are correct, and the screen is correct. I know it's mid, mid-verse, but um, what, we're, what we're doing is uh, we're starting a new series today. As you can see, we have this nice graphic up there to indicate this is a new series. We're not in Hebrews anymore. We're now transitioning to uh, a 10-week series on what are referred to as Jesus's Beatitudes. And each one of them starts with this word, blessed, and we're going to take 10 weeks Uh, Today is kind of just trying to get our minds and hearts and lives around what what is this concept of blessed that Jesus is getting at because for if you're like me when I hear the word blessed or blessed or however however you want to pronounce it I just think that is probably if not the most generic word uh, in our culture it's one of the most it's one of the most just Christianese words like what does that really even mean you know it's like hey man how are you doing it's like I'm blessed. It's like, all right, cool. I don't know what that means. I'm blessed and highly favored. I don't know what that means either, but just keep building on it. You know, I'm blessed and highly favored and deeply loved. You know, just keep going. I don't don't know. I'm just, sometimes I start saying it. I don't even know what I'm saying though, you know. And yet Jesus builds the very beginning of his, uh, his teaching to his disciples on this idea of being blessed, this idea of blessing. Christianese word to us, but for Jesus and in the Bible, uh, it's, it's a very, uh, it's, it's really, it's a jam-packed word. And what, what Jesus is conveying with this idea of blessedness. And as you can tell by the thing behind me, it's getting at this idea of the good life. And Jesus is putting forth a vision to his disciples right then and there, which then also transfers to us if you follow Christ. And then really what he's saying is just in the world, just if you're a human, this is, this is the way to have a blessed life. This is the way to live the good life. And so what we're going to do today is um, just, again, try to wrap our hearts and minds around what is Jesus getting out with this, this idea of inviting you into blessedness. And then the following nine weeks, we're actually just going to go uh, verse by verse and look at each one of these um, invitations that Jesus gives to us to step into this way of being in the world. So I want to start um, in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, just to kind of locate us where this is at, this is very soon after Jesus has, um, he has gotten baptized and then he spent 40 days resisting uh, the enemy in the wilderness. And um, then he starts his public ministry, and he's just really gotten that started. And 
Jesus, you know, he's, he's living every pastor's uh, and every minister person and every really person, but every pastor's like wildest dream, which is like you just show up somewhere and you start preaching about Jesus and everyone just like crowds, you know, just like thousands of people are just like, oh my gosh, you're the, you're the most spiritual person I've ever met in my life. We have to hear you. Right? He sees the crowds and they're like, they're coming after him. And, and, and you look a bit earlier in uh, chapter four and it says his sprain or his, sorry, his fame spread throughout all Syria and they're bringing to him the sick and all. And so people are just, they're just hearing about Jesus and what he's doing and they're just flocking after him. And what he does is you know, the opposite of generally what you would do, right? If you get into your profession or you get into your life and, and you become very successful what you do quickly and all of a sudden, you know, you're the, you're the one, you know, in your field that everybody wants to go to and everyone wants to work with and all that. And he sees the crowds. And I love this about Jesus. He never, you know, he never plays to the crowds. He's not desperate, right? Um, it says he basically goes into the woods, he sees the crowds and he's like, I'm out of here. Not because he doesn't care about them. Uh, obviously he does. I mean, even already right as he's getting into his ministry, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. Um, and yet he takes this opportunity to like, oh no, I, you know, I need to go up on this mountain. And then it says he sits down and his disciples come to him. Now, um, I also, this is just like a little side note, but it's interesting that he sits down when he teaches. It's most likely that everyone was, all his disciples were standing up, which I really wish we still did that now because that would be a whole lot easier. If I could just sit here, you know, while I preach and you guys are the ones that had to stand up, you know, maybe keep you awake a little bit better, you know. So maybe we'll just, maybe we'll just start trying that and just say, this is, this is the way of Jesus. Okay? He would sit down and everyone else would stand up. And um, so he sat down. That's what teachers would do in the time. That was kind of, this, you, know, you know, seating or seated. You know, they have, they have the authority. It's, it's on the listeners. You know, they're the ones that are, you know, trying to stay with what is being said and track with it. You know, that's the burden of proof, not the speaker. Um, now it's a little bit flopped, which is fine. Um, and it says his disciples come to him. So now you see we've got the crowds at the, you know, somewhere down below this mountain. And we have Jesus and his disciples coming up on this mountain. And I think that's important for us to, to note. I mean, it's, it's here, so we should pay attention to it. It's this detail that's given to us. And, um, you know, I think there's a couple things happening with this idea of them going up on the mountain. And even the way that it's kind of like, uh, the way that it's even just explained. I mean, you even get into verse 2 and it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. It's like, how else was he going to teach them? With his mouth closed? You know, just kind of like, mumbling through, you know, a closed mouth. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? It's like, it's like saying he put a foot in front of him and walked. You know, it's like he's, he's kind of, you know, he's drawing attention to, to something here. And um, I think on one hand, you know, why we're given this kind of, uh, this information um, in this way is one is he's just creating some anticipation. He's creating some sense of uh, suspense of like, you know, he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he sat down, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth, and he taught them, and it's like, it's just creating this sense of like, what is he about to say? And if there's, if there's suspense there, we should probably assume that it's going to be pretty important. But then also, I think what it's doing is any Jewish reader who would have read this, would have, their imagination would have immediately gone back to earlier in the Old Testament, um, with Moses going up on Mount Sinai, right? So he, all the people of Israel, after they'd come out of uh, slavery in Egypt, you know, they're camped out in the middle of the wilderness and they don't all go up on the mountain to engage with and encounter God and, and to talk with him. But Moses does 
God talks to me, he comes back down. And so it's, it's making this kind of subtle point that just like we saw in Hebrews uh, in a different way, you know, that Jesus is, he's the greater, just like Moses would go up on the mountain and talk with God and relay, relay that message to the people. Jesus is like that, but he's even a step greater and better because he's not just a guy going up on the mountain to talk with God. He's actually the guy going up on the mountain and he's also God talking. He's both in one. So he opens his mouth and taught them, which again, just there's some little phrases here that I think are important for us just to just, you know, kind of pay attention to, not fly by, taught them. Um, especially if you are a, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, um, I think it's, it's good for us to periodically, myself included, do a heart check and do a, do a gut check, do a self check in, in terms of, do I really think Jesus has something still to teach me? Or do I think I've actually kind of gotten it all? I've been around Jesus long enough that basically, I think I kind of get the gist of what he was getting across. I think I kind of get it. Or maybe there's not something I necessarily need to learn, but I just kind of need to be reminded of the things I already know. And I want to encourage you as we, you know, as we enter into this, this series, or we're going to be kind of taking a slow walk through these sayings of Jesus, for you to open up your heart, open up your minds to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to say, just imagine yourself as one of these disciples. Right? You've gone up on this mountain, and he's sitting down, and you're standing up, like you all should be right now, if you're being biblical, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing up. They're standing up, and I want you to imagine yourself there. Just like, whatever he's going to say, I'm going to assume that I, I either don't actually know it intellectually, or I don't know it in my heart, or I don't know it in my hands and in my feet. And just to, you know, adopt that posture again of a disciple, of a learner, right? That's the whole idea of being a disciple of Jesus, right? We're never an arriver of Jesus, we're always an apprentice. We're always following and learning alongside of him and behind him. So he opens up his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are. And again, I'm intentionally stopping there and not going through the rest of verse 3. Uh, we're gonna, we'll take verse 3 next week and every verse uh, after that, just one week at a time. But Jesus ends up repeating this. If you, just, you can skim across the next couple of verses and see he repeats this. He brings that phrase up every time when he makes a statement. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. There are, I'm gonna, we're gonna geek out for just a second, okay? And a little bit of, uh, little bit of original languages, okay? Don't always do this because I'm not actually that smart. I know just enough to probably be dangerous, um, but I know some, all right? And so we don't normally geek out like this, but we're gonna geek out for a second. And there's a few different uh, Greek words. That's the original language that the New Testament was written in that for us, we just read as the word blessed. And I think there's something helpful there to see what are the nuances of the original language. And so our first word is um, selfios, which kind of sounds like the word selfie, doesn't it? And it means fake fame. And this is just hashtag blessed. You know, I mean, you can put a hashtag blessed on uh, any, I mean, just anything you want to post, you're at the beach, you're drinking coffee with your family, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you're hashtag blessed. Selfios. Um, that's actually not a real Greek word. I just, that's not real. That's fake. I just had to, I just really sometimes, you know, when I'm, when I'm studying, I just 
get a little bored and you know, want to have a little fun with myself. That's not a real Greek word. But some of you in here with MDivs, which we have some recent MDivs in here, at least one, uh, are like calling me out right now, you know? Um, they already know this. Okay, so I want to move quickly on to the next one. These next two are actually real Greek words, and they actually are both in the Bible. The first one is fake. Uh, this one is the word blessed. Um, and it comes from the word eulagio, which means heavenly favor. This is the word that, you know, we often will think of when you hear the word blessed. Um, this is talking about God's, you know, his divine favor, his, him setting his heart on, you know, back in Old Testament, just setting his heart on the people of Israel for no good reason other than the fact that he loved them um, and how he does for his children. He just, he chooses and he sets his heart and his love on us. And there's a, there's a favor despite, you know, the circumstances of your life that is just, that's on you because God has set that, uh, set that on you. But then there's also another word that's translated blessed, and that's makarios, which means earthly fullness. And this is, uh, this is the one that we don't typically think of as so much around the idea of, especially when it comes to the Bible, we kind of think it's the first one, divine favor. But this, the, the word that Jesus actually uses here all, um, all nine times is makarios, earthly fullness. It's taking the Old Testament concept of shalom, being complete, um, being whole, being restored. And it's, it's not just, you know, a, there's not just a spiritual component to it. There's a, there's a real, there's like a dirt component to it. There's a earth component. There's a human component to this. Um, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. So it's almost like, you know, the heavenly favor side is, it's God looking down and saying, you are blessed. You have my favor. And then this second one, Makarios, is almost like everyone around you, right? Think about it like this. It's, it's almost like, I don't know if you remember, um, I might be dating myself here. I feel like I'm starting to get old. Um, does anyone know the show MTV Cribs? Okay, all right. So MTV Cribs, right? What's the premise? They find these, you know, rich, famous celebrity people and they go to their house and they, you know, they go through every room and it's like, wow, you know, it's so big. They have like 12 bathrooms and three, you know, indoor pools and all this stuff. And, and you're just like, this is amazing, right? And there's a reason, right, that the MTV Cribs or whatever the new version of the show is doesn't come to like your house or your apartment. Right? No one cares. It's just like... There's nothing that great or, or special about it, right? But there's something about like the really amazing house that you're like, oh man, like that is, that's earthly fullness. Like they've got it all. They're not lacking anything. I mean, look at this. They have fame, they have money, they have celebrity, they have this house. They, and we want to like, we want to beat off of that a little bit, you know? And so we'll, we'll, we like to look into, you know, the rich and the famous and the attractive. We have to look into their lives and, or whoever it is for you, you know, maybe a, athlete or something like that and you want to you kind of there's something there like man they have something you know maybe you would articulate that way they have like what I really want um, and now ultimately Jesus and we'll see very quickly really with the first one as we get into this Jesus excuse me Jesus's uh, view of earthly fullness is very different than our view of earthly fullness I'll be very clear about that um, Jesus is not talking about clothes and cars and fame and 
you know, being attractive and that kind of thing. But there is something in there that I, I don't want us to miss. And this, I think it's important to just note, this is where Jesus starts. These are the first words out of his mouth to his disciples. This is, he has said a few things before this, but this is the first thing he is saying to his disciples as his public ministry has started. This is, I mean, if you were gonna start, if you've gathered a bunch of apprentices around you to come learn how to do whatever you're good at, you know, what would be the first thing you'd say to them? And here's Jesus saying, this is the way to live an enviable life. This is, it's almost like, what he's saying is, this is the way to be congratulated. You know, just like you would, you know, in your mind, like, oh man, this person with this MTV crib, they're just, wow, like, you're just, you know, you're congratulating them as you watch it, right? That's kind of like the, the mindset behind it, that he is going to put forth the actual, real, true, good life. The truly enviable life. The truly you know, the life that is truly worth being con congratulated or high-fived. Like, you've got it. That's what Jesus is, is going to put forth before us as we walk through these. And so I'm going to keep this up here for just a moment. And you can, you can see here, you know, over here, it's, this, it's the same word, right? Just, it's blessed. And, and you don't know which of the two is being used when we're just reading it in English. But I think there's actually something here in the fact that I think there's a reason that in English we translate both of those two things together as one word. Because really those two things aren't separate. You know, there really isn't heavenly favor without earthly fullness. And really the only way you get earthly fullness is through divine favor. And so I think there's actually something, something there. And now I, also, I think we all have to kind of take just a self-inventory. We'll take a few moments to do this at the end, just um, quietly reflecting and praying and spending a little time with Jesus around this. But just the simple fact is that, you know, there are some of us who we, we tend to lean more towards the heavenly-minded side. And then there are some of us who tend to lean more towards the earthly-minded side. The heavenly-minded side is where we think about, you know, okay, for me as a, as a follower of Jesus, really the only, maybe the only thing that Jesus came to do was just simply forgive my sins, which is no, nothing short of a miracle and all of God's grace. Nothing that I could do, right? But that's really all he's done. And so basically you can kind of view your life like a pit stop. Like God's done his thing, um, but really, your whole life, you're just like hanging out at the pit stop and then you're waiting to die and go to heaven and then, then you start doing the laps and that's where the real fun begins. Or you can be on the other side where you're more earthly-minded, right? And I think there's kind of a couple of different ways this can look. On, on one hand, um, you know, you are, for, specifically as a, as a Christian, you might just be very justice-minded. You know, you might care a lot about the environment. As you should. We should care about justice. Justice is not the world's idea. It is, it is God's idea. It comes from his heart, from his word. And you can get so focused on, you know, caring for the poor and, 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 and all those good things, right? That it can actually become self-defeating in a way. It can become oppressive to you or maybe even to other people. 
But then I think there's also just the more generic, right, where, where you're focused on the earthly thing, where like, and even, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we can all get sucked into this, just materialism, right? Consumerism, where we just think, really, like, you know, the fullness of earthly life is like sitting on a beach with no work to do and your spouse or a group of good friends and you're just hanging out and you're just enjoying, you know, stress-free, right? That's the good life, right? You see it on stickers even, you know? They got a little umbrella and a little beach scene. You know, the good life, you know? No one's saying the good life is like sitting at your desk and, and typing, right? And you just get sucked into, well, it's just what's here, you know? Whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or not. Either one of those, if you're purely or mainly focused on the heavenly, right? I think it's true. You can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But I think it's also true that you can be so earthly minded that you're no earthly good. That what, you're, that what God is trying to do on the earth, um, we can actually get in the way of because we're so consumed with everything here, whether it's good things or you know, gray things or bad things. But Jesus, he brings us into a resolution with this. And I wanna bring us just a couple of verses back I'm going to bring it to two verses. The first is um, Matthew 4, verse 17. We'll have it on the screen. Jesus says this. From the time that he, that Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before Jesus gets to the blessed are, Here's what the whole wholeness, fullness of life can look like. He starts with repent. That's the very, that's actually really the first thing that he says. That's, that's the first thing out of his mouth is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he picks up on this idea of the kingdom in verse 23. So just a couple of verses before, we, before he launches into the Beatitudes. In verse 23, he says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So here's Jesus being heavenly and earthly. Here's Jesus being the first blessed and the second blessed. He's proclaiming the gospel, he's, which means the good news of the kingdom, which is ultimately that he, the king, has arrived and he's coming to make all things new. And it's going to start with his sacrificial and substitutionary death on a cross and then resurrection from the dead. But then he doesn't stop there with just proclamation. He's also healing every disease. And this, I, you know, I don't think it's just, well, this is a, you know, this is a picture of what he's going to do to us spiritually. Jesus actually cares about our bodies. He cares about the way that sin and death has, has degraded and decayed everything. Not simply, you know, in a legal way that we need to be forgiven, right? Which, and that can only happen by his grace because we're guilty. And the punishment of that sin is, is death. And without him intervening and his mercy, you and I are without hope. But he doesn't stop there. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if, if you're getting your house renovated 
and you were to, you know, go into the kitchen and, you know, take down some walls and you rip out all the old, you know, non-stainless steel appliances, you know, because God forbid, you know, have any white or black appliances, you know, they got to be sh shiny and silver, you know, lots of natural light and you're doing all this work, but actually you never get to that work. All you do is demo day. Which is, I mean, that's gotta be the most fun part, right? Where you just go in with a sledgehammer and just start breaking stuff down, right? And, and making way for the new. But I think that if we view what Jesus came to do purely as to forgive you of your sin, and that's it, and basically you just wait until you float up into heaven, then we're, it's like you're living in a house where you started a renovation project, but you never got to the renovation part. Yeah, the, the, and the old has been taken out, and he's taken it to the trash, and it's gone. But that really was just the beginning. He's coming to bring blessedness. He is coming to bring earthly fullness. He, and, but it starts with repentance and belief, right? He, it, it starts, Jesus doesn't just proclaim. He doesn't just heal. And he also doesn't start with healing and then go to proclamation. He starts with proclamation, and then he moves to healing. And that's what he does with you and me. And if you want the good life, it comes in that order. You can't get the healing of Jesus without belief in Jesus. You can't have him heal your physical heart and physical life without having him heal your, your spiritual heart and your spiritual life. But when he does that, we can, you can actually, you know, you can cut out a lot of what he wants to do in your life and grieve the spirit by not just having a simple awareness that he wants to, he wants you to continue walking in repentance and belief, but he also wants to go into those places in your mind and in your heart and even in your body that need to be touched by the resurrection life of Jesus that are still dominated by the domain of sin and darkness and death. Jesus, he, he wouldn't settle for just, you know, you know, sweeping under the rug sin and like, man, you know what? Sin and death and Satan, all that's still gonna just run ravage, right? He, he wouldn't settle for that. And he starts it here. This healing work is a foretaste of your future by faith in Christ. And he starts that work now, right? Now you may have a you may have a physical ailment right now that you're like, I've been praying for God to heal or for someone that I know and love and, and he hasn't done it, right? We live in the, the already but not yet, right? We're never gonna get a full taste of that. He can, and maybe he has in your life and maybe he will. But this is a foretaste of something he promises to come. This is what the kingdom, this is what the kingdom is about. This is what the king is doing. He's doing battle with the, the forces of darkness and evil starting with sin, starting with your sin. But then he doesn't just die on a cross, you know, taking the, absorbing the punishment of our sin. What does he do on the third day? He rises out of the grave, defeating death, taking that out of the equation as well. And as, you know, Coldplay, was, Coldplay would say, death and all of his friends, that's what he's coming after. Death and all the death-like things that dominate your minds, your heart, your life, your relationships, Jesus wants to step into those things after you've placed your faith in him and then begin bringing his renewing resurrection, life, and hope into your 
addictions, into your depression, your loneliness, your inability to relate to people that you want to, your unfulfilled longings for marriage or for a best friend or for the right job or what. Jesus doesn't only care about forgiving you of your sin. He also cares about the fullness of your life. And it starts with forgiving you of your sin. You can't get anywhere, can't get anything beyond that until you've done that, until you have repented, which means to do a 180, where you say, I'm walking down this path with death and all of his friends, where I'm on the throne of my life, and repentance says, this obviously isn't working out for me, so I'm going to entrust myself to the one who is the king of the universe, the one who has created and, is, who is, and who is sustaining everything, and who has offered himself up to us to be received freely as a gift. And then when he comes into our life, he starts doing this renovation work, right? He starts completing, right? He goes and he takes out the old walls and the, the bad for, floor plan and all the old appliances, right? And he starts, you know, doing a renovation. But he, he also doesn't just do this, where it's not like he just skips demo. You can't skip demo day and do a renovation. You can't just stack a new oven on top of the old broken oven. You know, you can't just, you know, put one countertop on top of the old countertop. You can't skip Jesus and get to the good life. There has to be that repentance, right? And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at today. You need to step into repentance for the first time. And we'll have a moment to just to do that. But you may have said, look, I've done that a long time ago. But where I'm at is, you know, just I'm, I'm wrestling with, most of you probably are on the side of too heavenly minded, right? That's where I find myself of like just being too focused on that. And those are all good things. And Jesus, that's where Jesus starts, right? But we're missing out on um, the fullness of life for ourselves and for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our families. Or maybe you are on the too earthly minded side. And you know, look, I am just as focused, but I am scared to death to share the gospel with somebody because I don't want to you know, I know justice is cool with the world, but I know Jesus isn't, and so I'm afraid to talk about Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you to step into him bringing those two spheres back together. The sphere of God's rule and reign, which is heaven, and the sphere where we reign, which is earth. God originally created them together. And then we ripped them apart, and now he's bringing them back together. That is the good life. That is what Jesus is going to be inviting us into um, throughout these Beatitudes. And so as we come to a close, I, I want to give, uh, give space to just reflect, respond, and have a couple of questions here up on the screen for you to just take a moment and uh, talk with Jesus about. Ask Jesus directly and just see maybe what he, what he says to you. He brings something to your mind. How might you want, Jesus, how might you want to bring heaven to earth in me? Your rule, your reign in me. But then also, Jesus, how might you want to bring heaven to earth through me? My relationships, my workplace, my school, fill in the blank. Just ask Jesus that. Just take a few moments to do that, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll close in prayer. So take a few moments to just spend some time with Jesus.
We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.